Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Changes. It's Annie McManus here and we have come to the final episode of this epic series. It's been amazing and so varied. We started with Fern Cotton. We heard from train spotting sensation Francis Bourgeois. We heard from the poet and writer Kay Tempest, a hugely emotive episode, that one. I spoke to Louis Theroux in my kitchen. The comedian Rosie Jones had me laughing and crying in talking about her life with cerebral palsy. We had the holistic psychologist teaching me about boundaries. Josh Widdicombe talking about going sober. We had Laura Bates talking about sexism. And Shiva Mabobi talking about the treatment of women in Iran in two really eye-opening and hard-hitting episodes. Uh, I've even been interviewed myself by the Irish comedian and legend Joanne McNally about my switch from radio into writing and podcasting. It's been so enriching and so fulfilling having these conversations and bringing them to you. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, they're all up there for you to listen to at your leisure if you missed any. Now, to finish things on a high... We wanted to bring you someone who is really representative of a huge cultural event happening over on the other side of the world at the moment. That is the World Cup. Our guest today is Leah Williamson. Leah joined Arsenal's youth programme at the age of nine and played for the senior Arsenal's women's team for the first time on Just Turning 17. She won her first FA Cup final in 2016 for Arsenal, played in the England squad for the first time two years later, and last year, you will know, she became captain of the England team and went on to lead the Lionesses to victory over Germany in the UEFA Women's Euro 2022. It was such a huge moment that represented change in a myriad of ways. Leah Williamson, it is a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for being here. No, thanks for having me, honestly. Such a pleasure. One of the things we've learned about on this podcast, because we discuss change week in, week out, is that there's two types of change. There's change that you go and embrace and kind of uh, make happen. And then there's change that happens to you. And some of that change can be very unwelcome. And we should start the conversation by addressing that unwelcome change that happened to you back in April in the injury that you got. What happened and how are you feeling then and now, please? Yeah, so 12 minutes into a game... I tore my cruciate ligament in my knee. How? I literally went in for the most bog standard of tackles that you can imagine, landed in a way that my body just didn't agree with and my knee just literally popped. And then I knew straight away that's my my World Cup over. It was a weird day. I've not felt like that for a really long time. How did you feel? Just, it's one of those things where everyone expects you to feel a certain way. I don't tend to do things that people expect me to do anyway, I don't think. Um, but I was kind of fighting how I actually felt and what it really was was just like devastation. You know, like it, at the end of the day, this is something that I just really, really want to do for no other reason than just because it's my passion. And straight away, just the daunting thought of nine months away from the game was just, yeah, a lot for me at the time. 
So how does that kind of process of acceptance come about and change? It must be such a long journey that becoming okay with it. Yeah. In that moment, everything changes. So my plans, Mm. my tomorrow, my next day after that, you know, everything that I thought I was going to do then goes out the window. The one consistent is how it's going to make me feel. So I totally got on board with that and really felt it, like just left myself open to what does this actually make me feel like? How bad is that? You know, do I, how much do I need to address that? Or is it something that I can just accept and continue to do what I need to do with it? I had no control over this, but when they told me, confirmed, you know, you've done your ACL, got the scan results back. In that moment, I then, my first question was, okay, when are we going to see the surgeon? Which made me feel great because I thought, and there it is, like I've, I must have made peace with it in terms of we're now going on to this is my new path, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where are you at in that process? Have you been to see the surgeon? Yeah, so I went to the surgeon. I had my surgery. I've been blessed since in the way that my knees reacted. It's been very smooth. I'm aware that there are going to be dark, dark days. So until those moments, I'm going to enjoy what it is now. But this is my new path. Already I've had so much time to do things that I just wouldn't do otherwise. Uh, so I'm I'm okay with it at the minute to come certain moments the girls do really well in Australia or little things like that where I just I'd love to be there with them and I'd love to be experiencing it with them of course they hurt me um but it's not enough to rock the boat too much at the minute did you consider going out to the world cup yes I had a call to be fair with with my manager just in terms of I know what she's like um same conversation before the Euros you know what are our capabilities what do we need to prioritize so I didn't ever want to get in the way of that but my brother lives in Australia and this is where Wow. I think everything happens for a reason. I've not seen him in a long time. So I'm still going to go to see my brother and go as a fan. I always say the only thing that would have made the Euros better is sitting in the stand with my family and being able to yeah. be with them during that process. So now, you know, for whatever reason, I have the opportunity to go with my, my brother and my mum to a game at the World Cup, which wouldn't probably never happen again in my playing career. But I like to hope yeah. so anyway. As someone who's so athletic and instinctively athletic, wanting to move and exercising every day as your job and your passion. Yeah. How do you not? Like, Yeah. I mean, I just know I love exercise. When I don't exercise, I get all tetchy and irritable and I'm not very nice to be around. Like, how do you control your mental health? And do you have support in doing that as well? I can imagine there must be some elements of support. I would hope there would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I have somebody that I work with really closely. So... I still have a job to do, it's just different. You're not seeing me on the television playing football, but every single day I'm in the gym. I'm doing things, I'm just not doing what I want to do or my instincts tell me to do. Okay. But it's hard. I've had a major surgery, my body's not switched on. So my nerves and everything need to come back to them. So they actually can't do certain things. I sit and see somebody crossing their legs. Well, because I can't do that and my knee can't move in that way at the minute. But yeah, yeah, like a ball rolls across in the gym. All I want to do is kick it and I... Oh God. You know, I can't, so I just... To exercise such restraint. Yeah, yeah. you, you go a bit stiff because you just think, well, I'm not allowed to do that. And my passion, you know, in the morning I come in my kitchen, I put my radio on, I dance, getting ready, and I can't. I just can't do what I would normally do, which is then, yeah. they're the bits day to day that, that really get me up here, you know? The rest of it you can prepare for. What have you learned about yourself, I suppose, in this process? Because this is the longest injury you've had, right? And yeah. you've had shorter ones on your ankle. Yeah. But this really is such a challenge I suppose so what have you learned about yourself when you strip away the identity that football kind of provides you 
and yeah. it's just you in your kitchen again. I think the the most comforting thing to me was like football's never fulfilled me on its own. I love I love it, and I I go and I do my job. But when I come home, I I really come home. I don't bring it home. It doesn't follow me. I adore Arsenal. Like I've I've supported them since I was a baby girl. So it is my life in a sense. But it's never been like enough to really. I've had to keep balance by you know film, music, whatever it is outside fashion. The most comforting thing to me is that I really really miss it. I really miss playing football. So I'm like, where I look at my career and I think, God, like. And look at the girls retiring at 36. I think, wow, I don't know if I've got 10 years in me. You know, like, I don't know if that's actually my path. Whereas now mm. I think that could be me if I wanted to be it. I keep saying to people, I feel grown up. I feel like mm. I'm actually an adult now. Like, the first time anything like this has happened to me when I've lived on my own. You know, just yeah. little bits and bobs where I'm thinking, okay, I'm well-versed to deal with it. You know, when you're a kid and you look at adults and think, how do they deal with that? Or how do they... Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you are one and you think, I've just passed that test. I guess it just makes you stronger, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's it's comforting because you think, well, I'm still I'm still doing good. I still wake up every day. I still go to training. I'm still giving as much as I can, just not in the way that I want to. Let's get to your childhood change. You mentioned your mummy um, yep. and be coming out to Australia with you and your brother. You have one brother, right? Yeah, one sibling, yeah. One sibling. And he's baby? or Yeah, he's five years younger than me. Five years younger. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about your childhood change, please. Yeah, so when when I was about 12, um, mm -hmm. my parents split up, which at the time, I don't, I don't know, I think in this in this world now, like, people do that that's what happens but I didn't really give it the when I look back I see it was a lot bigger of a change than what I maybe gave it credit for at the time and obviously having my brother being five years younger than me it changed a lot for me just in terms of having to grow up a bit quicker and you know having to deal with emotion I suppose like that you've just never really you haven't mm. had to think about before um the stability at the time like my my life didn't change, you know, there was no risk. I went to football every week, you know, nothing changed from the outside. When I look back, I think about the way I behaved, the way that I viewed human behaviour, and I think it's such a big thing that happens if you're if you're a kid and you're not really sure at the time how to deal with it or what it means, so you just keep going because that's what kids do and we're resilient. And then you get older and you think, wow, that's definitely affected this or I am the yeah. way I am because of that. And can you remember like how it might have changed you at the time in terms of how you behaved or how you were at school or how you were with your friends or football even? I just think I grew up really, really fast. Right. Everybody always jokes I'm a bit of an old soul and like too far beyond my ears, a bit boring sometimes, but I had a lot more empathy for people, I think, and I've always then had that throughout my life. Once you've been through something, you then empathise a lot more and I think that was a, a good thing that I picked up. But I also think... You do get angry and you you do have the emotions that you have. Like I say, at the time, you don't understand them. You know, when you get older and you think, sure. oh, that's why people break up or that's why things yeah. happen. But when you're a kid, it's just, you know, in your head, you're painted, you're meant to have a mum and a dad. And if that's what you've started with, then that's what you should end yeah. with. I don't know. I think the the maturity for me, I went from just coasting through life. I was blessed. I never wanted for anything throughout my whole yeah. childhood. I can honestly say that. But then all of a sudden, it's like, I didn't know I wanted certain things, but I did. 
And yeah. now when I look back, I think, yeah, I, there was definitely anger that like crept in here or being a bit moody or whatever. And did it change like in terms of just the structure of your household? Did someone move out, someone stay or was that? Yeah, no. So we stayed together for a long time um, because right. my, my brother was younger. And so and that's what I mean, in terms of stability, I mean, needing to can yeah. take me to see my friends or I still had like two cars on the driveway right? whenever I needed. So that was good. Uh, and then obviously spending the same amount of time, I never had to do the weekends or through the week here and next week somewhere else. Can I ask you about your mum? She sounds like a total legend. So she yeah. was she was a footballer um, yeah. before she had you, right? Yeah, so she, she played growing up. Uh, she was like 13 when she joined a women's team, so she must have been some standard of good. And then, yeah, she was just all-round sporty. To be fair, she played netball, she played everything, and then I came along and, and ruined everything. <laughs> so when you say the women's team, you mean well, that was Milton Keynes, right? She yeah, yeah, she Keynes. was playing for Milton Keynes. Um, like a proper yeah, league was, team. Yeah, yeah, they they actually, she knocked Arsenal out of the FA Cup once. Wow. Which is which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone now, as I've got older and, you, you know, you go home, you see people and you see people that I don't know, but like my mum's friends and they like... Your mum, when she was at school, or you know, she was an incredible this or an incredible that. So, if the legend is true, yeah, she lived up to sort of expectations of being an all rounder. Yeah. And uh, like having watched videos and stuff and read up a bit about you, it feels like family has been so intrinsic to, I mean, obviously you're mad talented, but there's a family element of support there that really can help. Oh, 100%. You know, everybody says it, but it's true. I, I wouldn't be here today without them, but more in a sense of, like I said, I was lucky I had the the lift. The I never had to get a bus to train and I never had to go out of my way. I was put exactly where I was meant to be whenever I needed yeah. to be there. But I think it's emotionally and, yeah, just like love and care and having those people around you, I've been honestly blessed. And I think that's what I give credit, you know, to my parents for because growing up and being a young woman, it's hard anyway. Being a young woman trying to play football is harder. And my whole family, yeah, just incredible the way that they've, like I said, that they only ever put me where I needed to be. And I know I've done the rest, but that takes a lot even to get there. Yeah. I wonder, like, having a mom who was a baller, right? Yeah. Like, does that give you a level of tenacity as a young woman? Because you know your mum's played. Yeah. And you know it's possible to play to a certain level. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, your first team was an all-boys team, right? Yeah. Tell me the context of that, please. How you ended up in there. So I used to be a gymnast. Uh, well, I used to do gymnastics. I wasn't a gymnast by any stretch. Like it was like a bit of a medical thing. They advised me to go and do it because it straightens my feet out and all this. And then one day I just come home. I think I must have seen it at school. We played at the end of sessions at gym. And I right. just said to her, I wanted to play football. And I asked my dad for a goal in the garden, I think. And he was like, I mean, he's buzzing. He's like, yeah, firstborn. So your is dad a girl. was a football fan too. Yeah, massive, massive. Right. So he like everyone's buzzing. Mum says now that she was a bit skeptical because she was just like she knows what she had to do. And when she was a kid, I mean, she had to cut her hair, pretend she was a guy. To, she had to, to pretend play. to be a boy. Yeah, yeah just yeah. to be allowed on the boys' team. Mm -hmm. And then somebody would rat her out. What to the other team or something? Yeah, or like the, the other team would be like, oh, she shouldn't be playing for them because she's a girl and she wouldn't be allowed anymore. And yeah, yeah. So when I say oh, I want to play football, she's like, they could have picked something a bit easier. Yeah. But she, yeah, I think she loved it. Um, and then, yeah, I, I just never saw it as an issue. 
I I didn't recognize it and people the way they behaved towards me of course it was an issue at certain points playing for the boys team how did they behave like it's the what parents. was the difference oh the parents okay the parents the parent you know get the girl don't let her do that to you you can't lose to a girl then the kids would get upset or you know to try and break my leg because I don't know like the the tackles used to come in just because I was successful and I was a girl uh, my my team were unbelievable my manager was right. unbelievable he never treated me any different and he said that to my mum she can only join my team if she's good enough like that's how I treat the boys I'm not just taking her because she's a girl mm. my mum was like wouldn't expect you to like do what you need mm. to do but watch her and then see but it must have been hard for your mum to be watching the sidelines when you're getting these filthy tackles. She used to make me wear a gum shield, which I resented her for. But she was just like, <laughs> protect yourself. Because so, she wouldn't let me run. She would never let me run. When you say she wouldn't let you run, how do you mean by that? She always... And I remember conversations, especially when I grew up as well, you know, you get to 14, 15, I'm driving in the car and I'm thinking, all my mates have just gone down the park. I'm going to training in London like I've had enough. The conversation we had then was basically, I said, oh, I'm not going to play anymore. She said, no worries, you tell them then. You know what I mean? Like, if you if you don't want to do it, you you at least walk into the fire as you're, as you're going out kind of thing. So she would never have mopped up for me. Or she's like, you want to play football? As soon as you walk on that pitch, you fight. You're on your own. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not helping you. I'm not doing nothing. And if somebody treats you a certain way, how do you want to respond to it? But you don't just walk. You don't just run. Not if it's wrong. You know, she's always told mm. me, if something's wrong, you... You change it. You don't. You don't let that fly. Mm. Wow, she sounds amazing. She, well, she is amazing. She's. Um, I've never worried about her not being proud of me, but I think she instilled so much into me where I know that I, I wouldn't disappoint her because I have her traits, which are to, yeah, I could say walk into the fire. I mean, you mentioned fourteen, fifteen. Puberty is the age where most girls end up dropping out of football. Yeah. What are your memories, I suppose, of that time? And how did it affect you as a footballer, I suppose? I think the main thing is, like, you go into school and everyone's priorities change. You know, like, right. we all want to look pretty. We're all shaving our legs. We're all doing all of these things because that's what women are meant yeah. to do. And everyone's bothered about boys and and girls and everyone's, you know, like, it's just, that's, that's what it revolves around. So then when I'm doing this really sort of, going against a social curve that for me was a, a lot and then all of a sudden you, you're wearing sports bras you're having to really deal with the changes that you actually are going through yeah um I never batted an eyelid and like that well I had that one moment and obviously I never was ever going to go and tell them myself that I wasn't going to play anymore so that didn't happen but apart from that one sort of waiver the rest of the time I knew what I wanted and I stayed with it my friends, some of them were so, so talented. My best friend could have been swimmer of a, a generation, but she just, you know, didn't want to get in the pool, get wet, have to yeah. to wash and straighten her hair because she wanted to look good when she went to school and see everyone. And I'm like, that's the changes there and hormonally, like training, yeah. trying to study, being up at all hours and just dealing with what's actually happening with you as well. When you talk about the team, like going to tell the team you don't want to play for them anymore, that would have been Arsenal, right? Yeah, yeah. I just I just got to a point where I couldn't guarantee that I could be a professional footballer, so I'd always had to have another job at this time. That's okay. my thought process. It's never been enough. Like, I love it, but for my whole life, I'm looking at my life and I'm thinking, is this actually what I want to do? Because to get to the next stage, from 15, you know, I've been good, I've played in teams, I've always, you know, people have always picked me out of a, a bunch, but you try and then go to the senior level, which is coming in the next few years for me, and I just thought, if I do this, it's going to take everything from me. Yeah. Do I yeah. want to do that or not kind of thing? 
and it takes sacrifice. So what did you have to sacrifice between those ages of 15 and just when you turned 17, you had your debut as on yeah. the senior team? The social side, I'd say, is the worst. Like when I look back, don't get me wrong, I'm grateful now, but there's a reason I have from like school two or three people that I really, really speak to now. I wasn't in the bunch. I didn't get to go down the park every day and hang out and talk and just know everything about each other's lives. What did it involve in terms of time? How many training sessions? We trained four nights a week or three nights a week straight. And I'd go straight from training. Mum would pick me up with, you know, sandwich in the car, get changed on the way and then back at 11 o'clock at night. So it was just, and then again, one a Saturday, yeah. you know, so it was, it was impossible to uphold any sort of, especially when you start going out and people start socially doing things that we shouldn't do, but it's what makes everyone who they are. Yeah. I'm grateful for that because I made my choices and I, obviously they paid off. Like I can't complain, but you know, at the time I just, I felt like, like I say, if I'm going to do this, it has to take everything. It has to work for me. Otherwise it won't, I'll have wasted time that I could have been spending elsewhere. It's really interesting, like what you knew about the possibilities of ladies football or football at the time when yeah. you were in your teens. At that point, it ha it wasn't anywhere near even as well known or as celebrated oh, no. or as remunerated as it is now. Yeah. So it's like, what are your, what what did you feel like your prospects were? What was your biggest kind of hope at that point? How far did you think you could go? My dad always said to me from age six, him and his mates, you know, Leah's going to be captain of England one day and all of this chat. And he would always say to me, you will earn a living one day from being a footballer. That's, I've, I truly believe that by the time yeah. you get there, that will be the case. And he's talking, you know, he's talking 10, 12 years on, he was right. And the day I turned 18, which is when you can sign a, a senior contract, I signed a professional contract. We went, the game went professional that year. So no way. he was right, he should have bet on <laughs> It's like you were literally like in the nucleus of the, like you are the exact yeah, age, that right year. time parameters. It's, yeah. wow. You, it's mad. You don't throw things like that. I don't throw things like that away. If something's meant to be and something pushes you that far onto a path, I'm like, right, this is, this is a deal. But when I was younger, I wanted to go to America. It's what everyone did. Bend it like Beckham, you know, like that was always the dream. Yeah. You would go to America and you play professionally out there because that's the only place it really could be or Germany. So that was always my dream. And then it just got to, like I say, a point where actually staying here would serve me more if I wanted to take the risk. But it was more risky, I'd say, to stay here than to go, to go out there. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You've obviously learned so much about football and what it is to be a good footballer. I was yeah. interested in a time um, when you lost the FAL Cup final with Arsenal against Chelsea. Am I right? Yeah. And the time in between that and winning the Euros. And you said in your book, I learned so much about myself and about what makes me a good player. What did you learn? What makes you a good player? That game was like a massive turning point for me anyway, because... Right. 
I got in at half time and I just couldn't wait for it to be over. Mm. I was so nervous, there was so much pressure. I was, this is me putting on, on myself. And I just thought I'd actually rather go home than mm. go back out there, which is ludicrous. Like I've never been the person if you, if you don't play. So if somebody doesn't select me to, you know, I'm on the bench. Yeah, I've never asked what do I need to do to be on there or I'm just not that person because to me it's like when do you trust me you're trying I'm not going to affect because I need to know that when you do put me on there you you've made that decision you mean it's got it. nothing yeah, yeah I'm not asking for it it's not mm. it's got nothing to do with me kind of thing so then I just had to do a bit of a deep dive into myself like why are you here why do people like you start listening to people you know with like well I'm typically English People say, oh, that was really good. And you go, oh, no, no, it's like you're better. You know what I mean? Like I had to completely scrap that that mentality for a while just to be like, Leah, this is what you serve. Like this is the purpose that you serve for this team. No one does you like you, you know, like just just figuring out again, like why why am I here? I'm a good passer. I'm calm. I'm really calm. Like it's your greatest, greatest strength. You can communicate with people, you know, all these things that actually that's why people want you on a pitch. So don't doubt it. Also, it's like it must be so hard when you want so much to win and you want so much to perform well to be able to kind of put that like want aside and just enjoy because something about enjoying allows you to play better, right? Is there a kind 100%. of sense? Of, but how do you do that? How do you walk onto a, a pitch and become unafraid to lose? That's literally the the conversation I had to have in my head, and it was a process, by the way. Like I went into. I went into life as well. So I'm working with a performance psychologist I have been, well, since 2020, I suppose. It wasn't enough for somebody to say to me, like, you don't have to win today. Just do your best. Like, it never, like I said, I've supported Arsenal since I'm six. My whole family's Arsenal fans. Yeah. All of these things where it is my life. It is who I am, whether mm. I like it or not. And I and I love that. So it wasn't enough just to be like, we can talk about it as an athlete and you know, you go and you play and you leave. It was never enough. I had to do into why do I get so attached? Why do I feel so, you know, I'm sitting talking to you. I've got a, an Arsenal earring because I love them and that's my identity and I love it. Yeah. But how do I remove? Why do I do that? What's And you go back up. Your parents split up. Do you feel some sort of this or that? Yeah. Or, you know what yeah. I mean? But it was a lot for me. I had to do a, a whole a whole deep dive. But effectively, knowing that the end of the world isn't if you lose. Like, it's not the worst thing that can happen. It wasn't yeah. the worst thing in the world that I did my ACL. There's so much more out there that could hurt me more, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of learning perspective. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. why you are the way you are. Why do you feel so... Why do I feel like I need to win so much? Because I, you know, and like going yeah. through it like that. And kind of removing your thoughts and not saying that your thoughts are who you are. Like, your thoughts are just reactions. Remove them. Remember... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and always I always listen to my body. So I did a lot of work on my breathing and like actually physically dealing with those mm. those emotions, but also giving them the respect. That's the best thing I one of the best things I learned was to right. give those emotions and thoughts respect because, like okay. I say, we we know it's negative. So I know that this pressure is is really negative for me. So I just go, okay, we can't have it. No, no, no. give it the respect it deserves. You love Arsenal. That's why you feel the pressure. But you can't sit in there. You're making a choice. Yeah. If you stay with it, you're making a choice. So how do I then use my physical, you know, like breathing or whatever to move on from that point and then be clearer in my mind? What happened when you were made captain? How did that feel? It's a really funny one because, like I say, that role, 
that title is something that somebody gives to you. People see it as like the pinnacle. For me, it's something that somebody asked you to do is an extension of my job. So I obviously was willing to do it. It's, it's a hard one because of, it's not something I ever saw after. So then to say that I wanted to do it is a bit of a weird one for me. Yeah. I, I, but, I feel But then if you it. look at what you just said about being put on the, on the bench or not. Yeah. Like you have to respect the decision because it's, it's you know, because you yeah. didn't seek it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that also, I mean, people would then say to me, well, that's why, sh that's why you were picked or whatever. Right. But one of my first things I said was, I don't want you to ever play me just because I am the captain, right. for example. Because I need to know that I've earned this. I need to know that it's not just a, a matter of circumstance almost. Mm. How does it feel to kind of have to be that person for the girls? I can imagine there's quite a, an emotional responsibility in terms of kind of your calm, trying to keep everyone calm. I mean, I'm sure your learnings yeah. that you were just talking about really must yeah. have been incredibly helpful. There's no way I could have done the Euros in the last year if I hadn't done that work. I don't think yeah. I'd have kept my head above above the war. You know, I'd have drowned at some point. Right. So yeah. I knew the value of it. On a personal note, I went to that tournament and enjoyed every single second from start to finish because I put the work in for the last three years before it. And I would yeah. never have ever been in that position otherwise. That's why I always say I owe my psych my, my life because I'm like, you've yeah. given me the best times of my life and I'm, I remember it all because, because of the work we've done. People would speak, can she do it? People ask me, can you do it? I'm like, I don't know. We're going to see. We'll, we'll find out. Like, I can't tell you anything I don't know, but I will delegate as best I can because I know that I'm not going to have all the answers. You know, the first conversation I had with the vice captain was, I'm not going to know everything. I'm going to need to ask you a question and I'm going to need you to not make me feel like that's a weakness. Actually, it's just how we need to move forward. But in terms of being that person for the girls, it's the biggest change that's ever happened in my life, I'd say, in terms of how I was looked upon, wow. how everything, yet all you're trying to do is not change. Because that's the, the person that you are is the reason that you've been right. paid. You God, now start changing. Well, the authenticity is your biggest strength, you know? If, sure. If you're a leader, I think. So to then have all this noise but not actually change myself, then I'm worried, am I doing too little? Am I being too passive? Because I'm trying not to change. You know, it's like a mm. real, mm. at the start, I was like, this is a lot. Um, yeah. But by the time you got into the tournament, because you don't have time to really think, like you're just always on to the next thing. Throughout the Euros, it was just felt like, second nature and I'm sure people will have opinions on yeah you did this really well or you didn't do this great but ultimately whatever we did it worked so I'll yeah. never regret anything you know yeah winning the Euros was there lessons that you learned upon winning in terms of how to win or how to enjoy or any of that I'm just fascinated by that the biggest thing I learned was that winning means absolutely nothing to me if I haven't enjoyed it because the way I felt that day was nothing but happiness. You know, it's like we hadn't won, but won the wrong way. We hadn't won by cheating right. or, you know, like all of right. these little things that mm. I'd been totally present the whole time. So it meant so much to me. If I had been torturing myself that whole time on the end result, even if we had won it, I honestly feel like I'd have felt like I'd lost, you know, because mm. I wouldn't have had the experience. So that was a thing that we all had. And also we went into that tournament and we spoke about, having the capability to win. So like, let's speak facts. We can win this tournament. We absolutely can beat anyone on their day, et cetera, et cetera. But to win was the dream. Like that was not touched until, well, in, even on the day of the final, our manager said to us, 
we don't have to do this, but we really, really want to. Mm. Like none, none of this is a have to situation. Winning, you never have to win. I just feel like that is, it's just absolutely the perfect thing to say, but I can't imagine a lot of managers saying that. On, it, it took me by surprise. There's incredible courage in saying that. Yeah. It's real. It's real. It's That's my point. Like we, we won by being absolutely ourselves. If people would ask me, do you think you can win? Yeah, of course I do. Will we yeah. win? Who knows? But the way we did it, the way we had a good time, we're bonded for life over that because we all like threw ourselves into it and nobody like checked our shoulders once. We were just moving forward, enjoying the ride. And luckily, unluckily, we ended up being in the exact position to do exactly what we needed to do. And that day I had no doubt in my mind that we would do it. I mean, I remember watching it in Ireland with my entire Irish family. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, it's not okay. a normal Irish yeah. thing to support English teams. That's not normal, yeah. But it just goes to show, I mean, my sons are English. They're, they're brought up here and my yeah. husband's English and my sons are football mad. And I was so emotional about my sons watching yeah. this match and, and, and being so invested in it. And I was also so emotional because I am such a standard example of a woman who stopped playing in her teens, played on the boys' team, in school, loved That's it, wild. got to puberty and, and stopped. And I always think, what if? But Why did it, it you just... stop? Can I ask you, why did you well, stop? Well, I, I went to a school that didn't do football for girls. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I ended up playing hockey instead, which I loved and excelled at. But then when, and I remember moving to London and actually I moved to Stratford and going to the local park and seeing girls do a training session and being so like, they're so good. Yeah. And being re like really wanting to have the courage to to see what it was to and join it, yeah. but just not being brave enough because I didn't feel like good enough to do. But I just feel like the act of winning that has just been the catalyst for such a, like, I hope you can confirm this or not, like a tidal wave of change. Like between winning the Euros and now, the World Cup is happening, England play their third game tomorrow when this goes out. What change have you seen? concrete change within the women's game for me it's just the the biggest thing is social perception yeah how we're viewed you know how people respect us now i hate that it took winning for that to happen i, I really do but hey. you know the demographic of people now that recognize who i am and what i do and what i'm yeah. trying to do in terms of changing them the world, do you know what I mean? And like what we're all doing every day, every day that we step out on that pitch, those young girls and boys have a role model in us now. And when I was yeah. younger, you had to search for them. And I just think that the way that we looked on in society, and I spoke on it before the final, and we did a press conference and there was tears in the press conference because everyone could feel the weight of the moment that was about to come, because it's the day yeah. before. My uncle actually texted me on that day saying, love you look really tired like get a good night's sleep before tomorrow because I was like I, I am like this has been yeah. a roller coaster but naturally we won money comes in sponsors come in that's you you can't survive without it so that's great and that's really important but like I say the way that it's accepted the way that dads come up to me now and say I was just running my girls team because my girl wanted to play and there wasn't a team and now I've got seven age groups because wow. of the influx of people coming to the town to say, where's the girls team? You know, yeah. and that to me is like just worlds apart. And you might not see the, the fruits of that until 15 years down the line. Mm. But we did that and we started it. 
I just think of you having your mom be a footballer. Think about the amount of young girls who have mums as footballers in 20 Honestly, years. You know, it's wild because I was the odd one out and now it would be... It's going to be this yeah. huge exponential growth. Yeah. Um, it's so exciting. Okay, so we have to also discuss the letter that your team wrote yeah. to the government asking for... Two hours worth of PE. Was it for all kids or, or yeah, all, just yeah, for children? Yeah, two hours, but yes. Yeah, so and equal, equal access, access. Yep. to football. And what did that letter do? Did it actually create change? I think so. Um, I had a good update the other day in terms of how they're writing the curriculum for next year and Department of Education, what they're saying you have to have. And the hard thing is that you can't enforce these things. Mm. You know, you can't enforce that you give a school 20 grand for PE that they don't clean up the toilets with it or something you know, it's not sure. something that anyone can that's why we fought so hard for legislation yeah. it's one thing saying do this but the legislation is what we need and that's where we're we're getting to i think but even just in terms of what people recognize that act as you know even if you're a school teacher and maybe you was impartial and now you feel like you have the responsibility to do that or maybe yeah. you always needed a reason to go to your boss and fight and say this needs to be provided you know but we always say this, we inspired all these women. You know, not everyone's going to be a professional women's footballer. That's not what we're looking for here. I'm looking for women that are bold enough to walk through any door that they want to walk through. And doing sport at school is 100% a catalyst for that sort of behaviour, the self-confidence. and. But it's also just as a parent whose kid has just started playing football in a league, it's just so good for you in every other way as well. Honestly. Like it gives you identity, oh. it learn, helps you learn how to lose, which is so important as a young kid, how to lose gracefully. It helps you how to work in a team. It helps you communicate. It help, get, like it's just endless yeah. benefits. Yeah, honestly. So now let's be real and talk about the fact that the discrepancy between men and women in football is obscene still. Yeah. And I saw in the news just yesterday, in fact, that... Um, I know that the Lionesses had spoken to the FA asking for something. I'm not quite sure about the details, but with regards to pay, and the FA have not committed to that pre-World Cup. Yeah. Right? So they kind of said, we're going to leave this and put it on ice until after the World Cup. At the moment, where are we at in terms of, I mean, I know it's obscenely different, but you can help me. What's the difference between women and men in terms of professional players and pay? Worlds. Worlds. With, I, I couldn't even put a number on it. You know, like if I was signing a deal or somebody was going to buy me out of a contract, I wouldn't right. know what my value would be in three years' time. I couldn't even give you a ballpark because it's Hopefully growing. about 250 yeah. times more. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, right, yeah. if you look at it basically, spectators and tickets equal sponsorship. Like you have, you're, it's record-breaking numbers at, yeah. at, at Wembley. Like it's not like you're not, people aren't coming to see you. It's not like people aren't watching you. Yeah, the there's animation no excuse. from you. Yeah, yeah. Like... This is how I feel about it. Yeah, no, the the problem is we have to grow sustainably, so we can't play every single game at the Emirates at the minute. Like I think that right. I think that would be silly. We're at a point right now where everything we do is selling out, which is a really good space to be in because you Amazing. see demand. However, if we're selling out, who knows what we actually could sell out? You know what I mean? The difference between two and a half thousand fans and sixty is too big to know where we would fit on a consistent basis got you that's the thing but it's a, it's a tv and the broadcast rights and i had a very very interesting chat with billy jean king um mm. at wimbledon and mm. literally off the back of that conversation i just wanted to walk away and be like right like give me numbers give me you know like we're, we're doing this we're doing that let's try and do this 
because she literally she you know what she did in tennis and when I was looking at it I was like like you're saying we do have the people come through the door yeah. people are interested people are watching it so why why would I ever receive a no because we don't mm. ask for anything that we're not worthy that I don't think or deserve I don't think we ask for unreasonable things yeah and what if you guys just said no that has happened has that it has happened uh, not with us but with different teams where they've refused to play ultimately yeah. you could like women could do that I believe the FA and their relationship with us is good enough for us to right. always yeah. come to some sort of solution but I think the problem also is that for so many years like the issues that we have were just accepted because it was like that's just women's football so nobody above it's not like they're sitting above and they're going and I'm not speaking about the FA here this is all clubs everywhere it's not yeah. like they're sitting going that's a problem but I just can't be bothered to fix it because they just accept that women's football has always been played at these tiny stadiums and you know so then when you actually verbalize it a lot of the time it is well received and from my experience in the places that I've been mm. you, you got Jamaica going to a World Cup crowdfunding for sponsorship for their camp that's insane that's wild so imagine they said no we're not going to the World Cup as a person and as a player what did they lose more you know yeah yeah it's so hard isn't it it's yeah. so hard to to get right it just feels like the remuneration should be moving as fast as the game and the popularity of the game that's where we're we're not at, at the minute yeah and like i said everything can't be based on success so yes yes it's not so like true. let's wait for yes. them to win and then we'll go again it's like yeah yeah because nobody can win all the time it's not yeah. um let's be real we waited how many 54 56 years for that that trophy yeah but you got it you got it. <laughs> we did. You got it. We did. Let's say in 10 years time, how old will you be? 36. So you could still be playing? I could still be playing. At the minute, the, my mindset at the minute is I'll still be here then. So we'll we'll hold on to that for as long as possible. Okay, so let's presume you are. Yeah. How would you like the state of play to be with regards to how women's football looks and is received and is remunerated? Firstly, from within the clubs, I want to see a wage that across the whole league, because it doesn't work if one team is given everything and the bottom doesn't. Sure. I had yeah. friends like a couple of years ago that were still working in bars to make up their wage. And they're playing mm. in the same league as me, which is disgusting. So you're looking at a league full of teams, more teams that are self-sustainable. I'd like to think that we're self-sustainable by that point, that have the medical and care that they need to actually complete the job that they do. You know, right now you've right. got 30 players missing from a World Cup. This isn't all the injuries, but 30 with ACLs are not at that World Cup. That's disgusting. Wow. Wow. So you're looking at medical care, you know, research, all of these things to actually support us in the job that we want to do. I'm looking at joint use of stadiums, you know, especially mm. for the top clubs where they do have the fan base. The Emirates, Arsenal sell out 60,000, Bournemouth have an average attendance of 10,000, for example. You know, it's not like everyone's the mm. same. We had a higher average attendance this year in the league than a men's Premier League team for the first time ever. So if you tell me about that change has happened in five years from 500 people coming to a game to 12,000 on average, you're talking to me in 10 years. I don't see why we shouldn't be sharing stadiums. Also, it's fascinating talking about the medical thing because women's bodies are different. So every injury will be different. Everything, yeah. you know, it has to be bespoke mm -hmm. to a, a female body. Exactly. And I think so much of it is just kind of borrowed from 
the men's game, right? Without a shadow of a doubt. And mm. that's where we're falling short. I also think the boys are, are made from the age of seven when they come into an academy. They are literally like programmed to be able to then one day complete what they need to do as a senior player. Girls, right. you train twice, maybe three times a week until you're 17 for two hours in the evening. Then all of a sudden you're 17, 18, going into professional setup, you're in nine to three, playing 40 more games a year, going to yeah. tournaments, you know, all of these things. So it's like, ultimately, am I actually conditioned to do what I need to do now? And that only the su yeah. survival of the fittest, which isn't really yeah. the way that we should be looking. Yeah. So I'm looking then as well, you're looking at like sustainability in terms of the, the stream of players coming through should be, the pool should be so much bigger. And also the funding in terms of, you know, people who are working class who can't afford to get to practices, that kind of thing. I can yeah. imagine in the men's game, there's a lot more funding to support yeah. people who don't have the money yeah. to sustain, like a middle-class family might have to get to and from sessions, to get kits, all yeah, of that. That's a lot of what keeps girls out of teams as well. Um, and they've right. just opened, well, I normally remember stats, but it's something like 74, they call them sort of a cad like RTC academy things. I don't know what the new term is, but basically where they're putting them in inner cities because ultimately that's where you've got your right. talent and your kids are missing out because they can't get out. And the kids that live yeah. in a city are the ones that don't have two cars on the driveway or, you know, like the, the parents work or have to work too long that they can't bring the kids. So you're losing kids because of that as well, along with yeah. social pressures. You know, you've got faith and these things where women are viewed differently to boys. So those barriers yeah. as well. You hope in 10 years time that nobody questions there should be no barrier to any girl. You know, she doesn't have to stay at home and do chores that her brother doesn't have to do, you know. Last question, Leah Williamson. How has football changed you? I think it's it's given me the opportunities and the learnings to then go and make myself the person I wanted to be. I think the the lessons, the life lessons that it's taught me, I wouldn't have gotten from anywhere else or maybe not as quickly as I have up to this point in my life. And the decisions I've made to try and become the person I always wanted to be, I think I owe that to football. Well, thank you so much for being on Changes today. It's been such a buzz to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Honestly, really lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much to Leah Williamson for that conversation. I loved chatting to her. Please rate, review, spread this episode far and wide. Anyone you know who is a football fan should appreciate hearing from Leah. And also, if I may borrow you for one second of time, can I ask you, if you have enjoyed listening to Changes this series, to vote for Changes in the British Podcast Awards. The category is the Listener's Choice Award. It's really easy, so just go to the show notes, click on the link, and you can vote for Changes. And we would so appreciate it it's been such a buzz bringing you these episodes over the course of this year we're taking a month off we're going to be back on the 4th of september with a whole new series of wonderful conversations about change have an amazing august i will be in ireland and sweden respectively i'm so excited to switch off i literally feel like burying my phone in the sand and leaving it there for a long time Let's reconvene after August for more changes and we'll see you then. Changes is produced by Louise Mason through DIM Productions. See ya!